0: Greg, would you like to say grace? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Said grace and many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you, you are such a good god to us, a a kind and gentle and accommodating god. And we thank you, O sweet, sweet lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day by day, oh dear Lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. My day. Amen. I'm in. Amen. I'm in. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs>
1: How many of you guys have ever been asked to pray and you weren't real sure what to say? That ever happened to any of you guys? It's kind of awkward like that scene there? Well, you're in the right place today because today we're going to talk about prayer. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles one last time to the book of James, James chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 13 and we're going to actually finish the chapter and finish this study uh, today that we've been going through for the last three months in, in James called How Faith Works. Have you guys enjoyed the book of James or what? This it, has it been such a great practical book, um, one of my favorite books of the Bible to study. And today we're closing out with a message called How to Pray, Especially About Your, Your Problems Today. Now, how many of you guys would say, by, by a show of hands, you would say that prayer is an important part of the Christian life? You believe that prayer is important? Yeah. Well, 84% of Americans actually when they were polled said they pray at least once a week and believe that prayer is important to a lot of people. The key verse here in James chapter 5, verse 16, the second half of verse 16 is really the key verse in this whole passage. And it says this, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In this passage, verse 13 to 20, that we're going to look at today, James mentions prayer seven times in this passage. A lot of Bible scholars uh, call James the, uh, it says he had camel knees because he prayed so much. And throughout this book and this study, he's talked about prayer almost in every chapter. And we believe as Christians that there is power in prayer. Amen? There's power in prayer. I mean, prayer is one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life that we have the opportunity to talk to the God of the universe. Uh, Prayer is is one of the greatest uh, powers in the Christian life because prayer can do what God can do. But at the same time, prayer is also, if we're honest, one of the greatest failures for a lot of Christians. Uh, Some Christians were polled and asked the question about what they felt about prayer. 95% of believers said they believed in the power of prayer, but only about 50% of Christians pray on a regular daily basis. So today, James is going to help us with prayer, how to pray, especially about our problems. He's going to answer three questions When should we pray? Um, who can pray and how can we pray? So I hope you'll take some notes this morning. The first question James is going to help us answer is when to pray. And James mentions three specific times in this passage when we need to pray. The first time we need to learn to pray is when I'm hurting emotionally. We need to pray when we're hurting emotionally. Look at verse 13. James asks this question, "Is anyone among you suffering? Let him do what, Church? Let, okay, that's three of you. Great. All right, let's get everybody. Let him pray, he says. Anyone suffering, let him pray. When I'm hurting emotionally, this word suffering comes from the Greek word, kakapathia. It means to suffer misfortune is what it means. It means to, to be in a difficult or tough situation. Can anyone relate to that? You ever been in a tough, difficult situation? You were suffering emotionally. In other words, internal distress is due to external circumstances around you, and you're hurting emotionally. And this is when your heart is breaking, when you're, you're down in the dumps, when you're worrying, when tension maybe is at an all-time high, and, and, and you, you need to pray. When, when you've had one of those days, one of those, those weeks, and maybe you can relate this morning. James says that's a time when we need to learn to pray. When we're suffering, when we're hurting emotionally. Now, it's important what we pray about. I mean, what what do we ask God? When we pray, what is it we we ask God to do when we're in in trouble? One thing we need to ask God for is wisdom. Say, God, you know, give me wisdom to understand what I'm going through, this suffering, this emotional problem. Is this something I've brought on myself? Is this something you're doing to get my attention? Or, you know, have you allowed this to come in my life, to to build my faith and, and draw me closer to you? You know, we know that life is hard and we all experience difficult times. And so what do we do in those times when we're hurting emotionally? James says, we need to pray. When we're stressed, we need to pray. David, the psalmist in Psalm 18.4 said, In my distress... I called to the Lord in my distress. Now, last week, we, we ended up with the passage in verse 12, and James told us not to swear. And so here we have the alternative to choosing to swear is we choose prayer, that we choose prayer instead of choosing to swear when we're going through stressful situations. You know, this is Christmas time. We're right in the middle of the Christmas season, only a few shopping days left, and we talk about it, and we sing songs. It's the most... Wonderful time of the year. And it can be for a lot of people, but for some people, it can be the most difficult time of the year. It can be the most challenging time of the year. It can be the most emotionally draining time of the year. If you're going through something with your finances or your family or something you're, you're worried about you're facing in your future or you've got a health need or your relationships. And James says, if you're hurting emotionally, we need to pray. It's a time to pray. You know, life has a lot of ups and downs, doesn't it? There's, there's times we're up, there's times we're down, there's highs, there's lows. You know, life is, is kind of like the weather in Colorado. If you don't like what's happening today, stick around, it'll change. You know, we had, what, almost 70 a couple of days ago. Now it's snowing this morning. And, and James knows this. And I think most of us, especially as believers, we know when we're hurting emotionally, we're going through difficulties, boy, our prayer life kicks in, doesn't it? We start praying again, and we go to God when things are difficult. But James also lets us know, don't just pray when you're hurting. Pray when things are, are good, when things are going great. And so he tucks this into the second part of verse 13. He says, not only should we pray when we're hurting emotionally, but he says, is anyone cheerful, happy, things are going good? Let him do what? Sing psalms. Let him sing psalms. You know, praising God is what he's saying here. I think sometimes when things are really good, we're afraid to praise God because we're afraid God's going to zap us with a bummer. You know, we're like, oh, things are going too good. And you may not have ever thought of it this way, but praise songs and praise and worship to God is just another form of prayer. Your prayer is talking to God, acknowledging God. We, we were praying this morning when we were singing. Prayer is not just get on your knees, bow your head, close your eyes, put your hands together. We actually did today exactly what James tells us to do. When things are good in our life, he says, sing psalms. The second song that we sang in worship today came right out of Psalm chapter 8. And it's good to praise God in the good times. And it's also good to pray and talk to God in the difficult times. You know, I I hear a lot of first-time guests that come to Orchard Church and they will say things like, you know, the joy and the happiness is contagious here. You know, when I walked into Orchard Church, people were so friendly and so positive, and, and people seemed like they, they really want to be here. I'm thankful we have a church like that. Amen? Amen. I, I try to call all the first-time guests, you know, that give us their, their number. I, I just call, and most of the time I don't get them, but I leave a message. And I just say, hey, thank you for being our guest at Orchard Church. Hope you enjoyed it and I invite you to come back again. And uh, this week I was calling the first time guests and I actually talked to this, this one lady and she said, you know, uh, I loved Orchard Church. I'd heard so many great things about it. She said, I knew the moment I walked in the door, this was a special place. People were happy to see each other. People were happy to be here. You know, people were engaged in the worship. And, and that's, that's awesome. We need to praise God for the good things and the good times. You know, I, I think it ought to be fun to come to church. Amen. I think it ought to be fun to come to church, and and people ought to, I want people to come here and walk in and be like, man, what are these guys so happy about? We're happy about God. We're happy about His Word. We're happy to be with each other. You know, if we're not enjoying our Christianity, we are certainly not attracting anyone to it. But if we enjoy our Christianity and praise God in the good times... It attracts people to what we have in Jesus Christ. And James is telling us here in in verse 13 that we need to pray when we're hurting emotionally. We also need to praise God and pray when things are good. It's okay to be happy. The word praise is found over 550 times in the Bible. It ought to be the lifestyle of the believer. So when we're happy and things are good, we, we pray through praise. And when we're hurting emotionally, it's a time to pray. Here's another time James tells us. We should pray. We should pray when I'm hurting physically. Not only emotionally, but when I'm hurting physically. It's a time to pray. Verse 14 and 15. James says, is anyone among you sick? You might want to circle that word sick. We're going to talk about that. Let him call for the elders of the church. And we don't have time to go into all this, but I I believe the word elders here is synonymous in the scripture with pastors and bishops. and We use them interchangeably for the same position. We we usually say pastors. Let him call for the elders of the pastors and let them pray over him. Over who? This sick person. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I I want to tell you right now that that verse 14 and 15 can be a controversial passage in the New Testament. A lot of different beliefs about what James is talking about here when it comes to praying for people who are sick and praying for healing. And, And I want to take a moment to talk about this because in a lot of churches, this can be divisive. And I don't want it to be divisive. I want us to understand what James is really saying in this context. And he first says, you know, is anyone sick? That word sick comes from the Greek word asthenio. And it means without strength. It means powerless. I mean, this is someone who is bedridden; they can't even get up. They're powerless. The, James is not talking about you know calling for the pastors and praying over someone, or anointing them with oil because they have the sniffles, or because they have indigestion, or they're constipated. There's medication for those things. It's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about doing this for somebody who's had a rough night and they've got a hangover. You know, you pray, and those times God's going to be like, "You're on your own, buddy." You did this to yourself. This word sick right here is sick unto death. It's the same word used in the scripture to talk about Lazarus who died and, and a woman named Dorcas from Joppa who died. Uh, the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda that couldn't get into the water and they had to pick him up. He was so sick. That, that's what this is talking about. This person is beyond the help of a doctor or medication. You know, you've heard doctors sometimes say we've done all we can do. It's in God's hands. That's the context of this person who's sick, near, near death, that he's talking about here. And so I, I want to unpack this a little bit because of the different beliefs about what this may or may not mean when it comes to sickness and prayer and, and healing. You have this in your notes. I hope you write this down. I think this will be encouraging and helpful to you guys this morning. I tried this out on the first service and eight, and they applauded. So I said, well, then I'll go ahead and use it in the next one, too. They're my guinea pig service. You know, if they don't laugh at my jokes, I don't tell them in the next service, okay? So three kinds of sickness in the New Testament. There's three kinds of sickness. First, you'll find a sickness for death. You know, this is like John chapter 11 where Lazarus, you know, died. It's a sickness that's for death. We know that we're all eventually going to die unless the Lord returns. Uh, The wages of sin is death. And so there's a sickness for death mentioned in the Bible. Uh, There's another sickness in the New Testament. It's a sickness for discipline. Uh, this is when God's trying to get our attention and allows us to get sick. So that, but maybe because we're disobedient or we're in some kind of sin. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul addresses this in the church in Corinth. People were taking communion, but they were living in sin. It's a sickness for, for discipline. And then there's another kind of sickness you see in the New Testament. And it's a sickness for display. A sickness for display. To display what? To display the glory of God. Where God allows someone to get sick Because then God is going to heal them, and God's going to get the glory from it. A great example of this is in John chapter 9, where there's a blind guy, and he's blind from birth. And the disciples say, you know, why is this guy, was he born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And Jesus says, nobody sinned. Nobody did anything wrong. God allowed this to happen so God's glory could be displayed, and Jesus healed him. You remember that? So there's three different kinds of sickness that that are found in the Scripture. So with that in mind, I want to talk about four different attitudes toward healing people that are sick. Four different kinds of attitudes towards healing and towards towards this passage or some other passage in the scripture. First attitude that I want to address is the sensationalist attitude. And when we think of the sensationalist attitude, we think about usually the TV evangelist. He's got a wife with big blue hair, you know, and he, the lights are going, cameras are going, thousands of people, and they're calling people up on the stage, and people are running around and falling over. And, and all kinds of crazy stuff is going, and it's really an emotional show that is taking place. And, and, and I always, it's funny to me because they'll, they'll call people up on the stage and they'll, they'll be like, Are you warm? Are you tingly? And, and I mean, bright lights are on them, cameras are rolling, 20,000 people. I'd be warm too. I'd be a little tingly. And, and, and you know what's interesting is I don't see Jesus healing people in a sensational type of way in Scripture. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus, you know, said, hey, pass out these flyers and invite everybody to the Galilee Miracle Healing Service tonight at 7 o'clock. I mean, I'm really going gonna, gonna to really do something big and put on a show. As a matter of fact, check it out. As you study the Scripture, most of the time that Jesus healed people, he did it privately. He did it privately. He, he took them sometimes away from the crowds and healed them. And many times he said to them after he healed them privately and didn't put on a big show, don't tell anybody. It wasn't some big show. It wasn't some big emotion. He didn't use people uh, to get attention. You know, and and we know this. Often the sensationalists will will tie money and giving to their healing, you know. Uh, Send me your money. I'll send you this prayer clock. Blow your nose and heal your sinuses. I mean, it's just kind of crazy stuff. And And I know this is controversial, but let me just say this. There's a big difference between faith healers and faith healing. Big difference, and we'll talk about that. Here's another um, attitude toward healing, and I, I refer to this as the confessionalist. The confessionalist, this is the kind of the name it and claim it group. You know, they say it's always God's will to heal you right now, whatever you're dealing with. It's always God's will, and all sickness is a result of sin or a lack of faith, and all you need to do is name it and claim it, claim your healing, and God has to heal you. And if you're not healed, then you must still have some sin in your life or you lack faith. And I I gotta be honest, I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem with that because then if they don't get healed, there's this tremendous amount of guilt this person feels because, well, I must still have some sin or or you know I don't have enough faith or God doesn't love me enough. And you can write this down. False doctrine always leads to false guilt. And it makes people feel guilty unnecessarily. And the problem with the confessionalists, the name it and claim it, is it makes God like a genie in a bottle. That we can rub the bottle and call on God and he's got to do what we say at our every whim and beckoning command. And I just don't, I don't, I have a hard time with that. You know, I, I, one example I would give about how we can't just name it and claim it that God always wants to heal every time is the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, remember the Apostle Paul? I mean, this incredible man of faith who who met Jesus personally, who wrote over half of our New Testament, who was the most incredible church planter and missionary probably this world has ever seen. Of all people, he had a health problem. He had a a thorn in the flesh, and he went to God three times, and he said, God, will you please heal me? Will you take this away? And all three times, what did God tell him? No. He said, but I'm going to do something. I'm not going to heal you physically, but I'm going to do something greater than that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I mean, if there's anybody that God could have and should have healed, it was Paul, and yet he didn't. Here's another attitude that we need to uh, watch out for when it comes to this attitude of healing in the scriptures teaching. It's called the the dispensationalist. This has to do with time. There are those who say that the gift of healing was only for, you know book of acts and new testament times and it's no longer uh, around anymore that, that god doesn't heal anymore miraculously like he once did in the bible well i i struggle with that because my bible tells me in hebrews thirteen eight that jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever i don't think god has lost any of his healing power I think he's still just as able and capable to heal as he ever has been. Which leads me to the fourth attitude, and I guess I would consider myself this, a realist. And a realist recognizes two facts according to the scripture. That God does still heal people in miraculous ways today. But not everyone who wants to be healed will be healed right now. When we want it to happen. That's the realist. Having said that, let me say this. I do believe that God heals all believers in Jesus Christ eventually. I believe that God heals all believers in Jesus Christ eventually. Let me give you an example. When I was pastoring my first church in, in Indiana, there was a man in our church, a, a very dedicated Christian man. He served in our church. I mean, Everyone knew him. Godly man. He got cancer. And when he got cancer the first time... We, we prayed over him. We prayed with him that, that God would, would, would heal him. And God did heal him. And his cancer went into remission. And everybody praised God for God's healing and, and, and answered prayer. About two years went by, and, and you've heard this story, cancer came back. And this time, it rocked him hard. And the doctors had done everything they could do. And they said, you know, they called in hospice. and They said, there's nothing else we can do for him. He, you know, barring a miracle of God, he's, he's not going to make it. And so his wife called me and she said, would you and some of the pastors, would you come over and would you apply James chapter five, verse 14, 15. Would you, he was in his deathbed. They'd given him just weeks or days to live. Would you pray over him? Would you anoint him in oil and do what James five says? I said, absolutely we will. I believe in what this verse says. We went over, we, we laid hands on him. We prayed over him. We anointed him with oil and we asked God to heal him. Just like we did before. He passed away just a few days later. I remember, you know, our our church was rocked by this because everybody knew him. And as our church was talking about this and as we were going to the viewing and the funeral, I had several people coming to me saying, Pastor, I don't don't understand. You know, we prayed for healing the first time and God healed him. And then you guys prayed, you anointed him, you did what James said. And, And this time God didn't heal him. Why didn't God answer our prayer? And one by one I said, but he did. God did answer our prayer. He healed him with the ultimate healing because he is walking the streets of gold as we speak in the best condition he's ever been in his entire life. God did heal him. Amen? Yeah. He did. And as I would tell people that one after the other, they would go, oh, I didn't think about it that way. I believe God does eventually heal all believers. Sometimes it's right now, and sometimes it's for eternity as we go to heaven. I think it's important that we are very careful with this passage when it comes to sickness and healing and people that are praying for someone who's hurting physically because the emphasis here is not on the oil. The emphasis isn't on those who are praying or the healer. The emphasis here is on prayer. It's prayer and what God can do. Notice in verse 14, it says that we we pray over them in the name of who? The Lord. Because we believe we have a Lord, we have a God who is a healer. Amen? Amen. And when he does, we praise him. We praise him he gets the glory. I have people ask me sometimes, why doesn't God heal everybody right here and now? I I don't know the answer to that. God has the power, but it's not always God's purpose for that person. And I think the lesson here is it's always in God's power to heal, but it's not always in God's purpose to heal right here and now. And we need to accept that. So when should we pray? We should pray when we're hurting emotionally. We should pray when we're hurting physically. And then we should also pray when we're hurting spiritually. You know, if we're struggling with with some sin that we're battling in our life. Look at what James says, the second part of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to, to who? One another, it says. And do what? Pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I've said this before, revealing your feeling is the beginning to healing. Now, now, notice, it doesn't say here that we confess our sins to someone else so they can forgive us for our sins. There's only one person who can forgive us for our sins, and that's God Almighty, amen? But it does say we're to confess our sins and our trespasses and our spiritual challenges with other people. Why? What, what, what does it say? I mean, he says, confess your trespasses to one another so you can judge one another. Is that what it says? Okay, confess your trespasses, your sins to one another so you can gossip. So you can make fun of them. So you can feel better about, well, I'm not that bad. So you can talk about them. No. So you can pray for one another and it leads to healing. Revealing your feeling to someone else is the beginning of healing. And I've had people that I've talked to, whether it's somebody I'm discipling or somebody in my small group or somebody that comes to my office for counseling, and they've said, I want to share something with you, Pastor. I haven't shared with anyone something I've been struggling with. I've got to get this off my chest. I've got to, I've got to get this out. I need some help. And the moment they start to tell me, this just weight of guilt comes off of them as they're asking for prayer and they're asking for help and healing is coming. We all need someone we can confess to. Maybe it's your discipler. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's your spouse. There's things I've shared with my wife I haven't shared with anyone else. If you're a, a kid or a teenager in here, you need to be able to talk to your parents that love you and care about you. Share what you're struggling with. They care about you. Maybe it's another Christian friend. You know, it's unfortunate. A lot of churches are known for their criticism. I want to be a church that's known for confession. That we're, This is a church that we love each other and we care for each other and we all have our struggles and that we can share that with each other so we can do what? Pray for one another. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Yeah. I do. I do. And I believe we have that here. And, and when we should confess so we can pray and there can be healing. We all need someone we can talk to. That's what I love about discipleship one-on-one. That in that relationship, you can share what you're struggling with and your discipler can pray for you. And as a discipler, I share things sometimes with my disciples so they can pray for me. We all need something. Now, be careful with this. When you're choosing someone to confess to and talk to, you know, about your spiritual struggles, make sure it's somebody you can trust. Someone that cares about you, loves you, is not going to gossip about you. Someone that's not going to judge you, but they're going to offer you what Jesus offers all of us. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, compassion. Find somebody like that in your life. That's why we're always telling you guys, get into discipleship. Get into a small group. Make connections so you can relate to one another. Now, when someone comes and they share something with us, they confess something to us, they're they're having a spiritual struggle in their life, what are we supposed to do as Christians? How are we supposed to respond? I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to kick into Operation Restoration. We're to help them out. Look at verse 19 and 20. James says, Brother, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, turns him around spiritually, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You help them. And there's no greater joy than being able to help another brother or sister in Christ who's maybe fallen by the wayside or they've gotten off track and you get to pray for them and you get there to help them and, and bring healing to their life. I know this firsthand. How important this is in my own life. Some of you know my story. Some of you know my testimony. Some of you don't. But I grew up in a Christian home. And I, uh, at 14 years of age, I believed God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry at 14. And I committed to that. But I turned 16. I got a car. I got a job. I got a girlfriend. I got out of youth group. I got out of church. And I started running from God. By the time I graduated high school, instead of going off to Bible college to pursue what God had called me to do, full-time ministry, I went off to secular university, University of Oklahoma. I pursued a, a music degree. And I was after four years there, after running from God for about five and a half, six years of my life, doing things that I regret to this day, that I'm ashamed of to this day, not being where God wanted me to be, I met Someone in my life that I'd grown up with, they got me back in church that summer after my senior year at at University of Oklahoma. And man, God began to convict me that God just said, okay, Doug, you've been messing around for six years. I still love you. I still care about you. You're still saved, but you're not where I told you to be. And I knew it. And and, and God really challenged me that I needed to not go back to University of Oklahoma. I needed to enroll in Bible college. And I need to to pursue what God called me to do, full-time ministry. But the devil, you know, kicked in. The enemy. And I felt like, man, I've done too much wrong. I've sinned too much. I've ran for God too long. God can never use me again. And I went to my youth pastor. The guy that had had a huge influence on me in my life in my junior high years. The the man that was there the night I surrendered to full-time ministry. And I I just confessed to him everything that I was struggling with, everything that I'd done. But I felt God calling me into ministry. And he loved on me. And he prayed with me. And he encouraged me. And I can tell you guys, if that would not have happened, I would not be standing here today. If that man would not have done that in my life. This is huge what James is talking about. It's life changing how we can help someone and turn someone around that is hurting spiritually, and pray for them and encourage them and lift them up. So when should we pray? We need to pray when we're hurting emotionally, when we're hurting physically, when we're hurting spiritually. Here's another question James answers: Who can pray? Who can pray? What what kind of person can pray? How do we qualify? I mean, do you have to be a spiritual giant first? No, any believer in Jesus Christ. Can, can pray? When we accept Christ, we have access to God. Now, let me say this. If a person is not a believer in Jesus Christ, they can attempt to pray. But this might come as a surprise. God doesn't answer and God doesn't hear them. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have cut us off from God. Because of our sins, he has turned away and he'll not listen anymore. J- James says here in, in verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of what kind of man? A righteous man, someone who's right with God is someone who can pray. Now, if if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, the honest biblical truth is God's not hearing your prayers. The first prayer that God hears is the one when you call on Him to be your Lord and Savior. Now, here's the great news. That can happen for you today before the service is over. Amen? And we'll give you an opportunity to do that. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for our sins so that we can have our relationship with God restored and open the wind is a heaven to talk to God directly. But Christians have that access all the time. But a lot of Christians feel inferior when it comes to prayer, unwilling to pray, you know, and ask God for help. I think sometimes Christians think, you know, uh, God's done so much for me already. I, I don't want to ask him for anything else. Or or there's people that have more needs than I have, and so I don't want to ask. Or I'm unworthy to come to God and ask for something because I know what I did last week or last month and I haven't been walking with God. Can I, I, on the authority of God's word, tell you this? God has enough love, grace, mercy, power, forgiveness, and compassion to meet all of our prayers. And to meet all of our needs. All of our needs. And encourage us to to know who can pray. James uses an illustration of an Old Testament character. And he says, just to show you that anybody can pray, let me point out a man in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. Elijah. And he, he mentions him in verse 17 and 18. James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like who? Like ours. What's he saying? Elijah's just like you and me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Three and a half years. He prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. He says, you know, you want to know who could pray? Any believers can pray. Just look at Elijah. He's just like you and I. Your Prayer is not something that's just for the spiritual elite. It's not just for people that have everything together. It's for believers in Jesus Christ. And Elijah was an ordinary man, but God did extraordinary things because of his prayers. And and we don't have time to go there. I hope you'll check it out later. I gave you the reference. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. We we get a glimpse into Elijah's life. And you see his human characteristics and human emotions that we can identify with. And this is right after the Mount Carmel contest between our God and the the prophets of Baal. And God does this amazing thing. And our God wins. And and then you get to 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah, after God's done this amazing thing on Mount Carmel, you think his faith would be huge. And he's on the run. You know who he's running from? A woman. Might be a good example for some of us guys. The woman's name is Jezebel. If you know anything about Jezebel in the Bible, you'd run too. And he's running from Jezebel. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 1 through 10, listen to the emotions that he experienced, like you and I. He experiences fear. He experiences resentment. He experiences guilt. He experiences anger. He experiences loneliness. He's worrying. Can anyone relate? Say yes. Yes. That's why James says, Elijah is just like us. But he was willing to pray. And God did amazing things. You, you You don't have to be perfect to pray and get answers. So James has helped us to know when to pray and who can pray there's one more thing we want to answer to wrap up this whole series. How can I pray effectively? You know, James throughout this book has talked about prayer and the conditions for effective prayer to get our prayers answered. And so we're going to wrap this up just a quick review real quickly of, of what James has said on almost every chapter. In the last three months that we've looked at, as we've gone verse by verse, James says something about prayer and how we can pray. So let me remind you of them as we kind of bring this whole study to a close. How can I pray and be effective? I mean, we want to be effective in our prayers, amen? amen? So James has told us throughout this book, let me remind you. First of all, you want to be effective when you pray? How can you pray? You got to ask. Simply that. You got to ask God. You got to ask. James 4.2, James says, you do not have because you do not Ask. God, You've got to ask. And when you ask, be specific. Have a prayer journal. Have a prayer app. You know, something where you write it down and you're specific. Get rid of cliches and generalizations. Be honest with God. I love the prayers of kids and new believers, you know, the physically young and the spiritually young because their, their prayers are so real and they're so raw and they're so genuine. And I just love, you know, you hear a brand new believer, hi God, it's Bob. I love that. I need help. We must ask. Here's another thing James has taught us. When we ask, we need to ask in faith. I must ask and I must ask in faith, expecting God is going to answer. James chapter 1, verse 6, James says, but let him ask in faith, no doubting. When you pray, expect God is going to answer. Listen to me loud and clear, church. I believe God answers every single one of our prayers, every time. Every time. You say, what? Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes his answer is no, that's an answer. We don't like it, but it's an answer. And sometimes God says, not yet. I've got some other plans. I've got something bigger in store. But God always answers, expect it. We've got to ask. We've got to ask in faith. And then we've got to ask, James has taught us, we've got to ask with the right motives. James chapter 4 verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it. God doesn't answer because why? Your motives are all wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. In other words, we've got to pray with the right motive that we say like Jesus, not my will but your will be done. Another thing that he's taught us today is we must ask with a clean life, a clean slate. James... says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A righteous man. The word righteous simply means right with God. Righteous. Right with God. And the good news is this. James doesn't say, okay, pray with a perfect life or we'd all be in trouble. Amen? He says, pray with a righteous life. And here's the great news, Orchard Church. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a righteous person because of Jesus' blood and what he did on the cross. When you accepted Him, He gave you His righteousness. You were positionally made right. Now, you practically may need to be made right because maybe you still have some struggles and, and sins in your life. Probably, probably if you look back, you probably sinned at least once last week. If you think real hard. Okay? Now, you're still positionally righteous, but you may not practically feel righteous. And that's where 1 John 1.9 comes in. I love this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Not some, not most, all of it. And that's why when I pray, one of the first things I pray when I come to the Lord is I say, Oh Lord, you'll forgive me where I failed you, God. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. I want to come clean before you so you'll hear my prayers. You know, if God only answered the prayers of perfect people, you know how many prayers would get answered? Zero. Because we all need prayer. And none of us are perfect. One of my favorite stories that uh, my wife Shelly's parents tell about her was when she's a little girl. She was about five, six years old. And uh, without permission, I got this picture this week from her mom and dad. And uh, I know it looks like Shelly is the tall one in the back. That's her older sister, Lori. Um, Shelly is the one in the middle there. That's Shelly. She was about five. I think she was like six or so at this birthday, if I count the candles, six or seven. That's her sister, Julie, on the other side. And they said, one night we were at uh, grandma's house and we asked Shelly, she was about five or six, would you want to pray for our meal? And Shelly said, sure. And so she started praying. She thanked God for the food. And then she said, but God, I want to pray for my sister, my older sister, Lori, that she wouldn't be so grumpy. (laughs) And then she went on and she said, and God, I want to pray for my older sister, Julie, that she wouldn't be be so mean. And then she said, amen. Amen. She got done and her dad said, well, honey, Shelly, you you prayed for, you know, your sister Julie, you prayed for your sister Lori, but you didn't pray anything for yourself. And she goes, because I don't need it. (laughs) She's matured a lot since then. (laughs) And the truth is, we all need it. Amen. We all need prayer. We all need it. We need to pray for each other. We need people to pray for us. So as we wrap up this incredible book of James with prayer, let me just talk to you for a second. Let me just share my heart. How important is prayer in your life? How important is prayer in our church's life? i, I got to be honest with you guys. I really want to share my heart on this. I, I think we have an incredible church and God is doing incredible things as we look back over the last nine years. And There was an article that came out recently. It said 10... Uh, uh, ways you know you go to a great church. Ten things that show you you're in a great church. We actually posted it on our Facebook page, and I would encourage you guys to go and read it. And as I read that, nine of the ten, I felt like, man, that's us. That's Orchard. We're doing great. But there was one on there that I, God spoke to my heart and convicted me about that I said, you know, I could do better with this, and our church could do better with this, and it was Prayer. You know, when we first started Orchard Church nine years ago, man, we prayed about everything all the time. Because we, I mean, we, we depended on God for everything. But as we are nine years old now and God's blessed so much, it's easy to get complacent. And I don't want to get complacent. I want us to, I want to be a praying pastor. I want to be a praying husband. I want to be a praying father. And I want us to have a praying church. I want us to be, be a part of a church where prayer is at the center of everything we do and it's really interesting, I didn't plan it this way, but God did, that we're ending the book of James talking about prayer, and I've already planned to start 2015, and one of the things we're going to talk about is the importance of prayer. I'm going to do a series starting in the first Sunday of January, and we're going to put it on the screen. It's called Small Things, Big Difference. Some just little things that we can do on a regular daily basis in 2015 that will make a huge difference by the end of the year, by the end of each week and the end of each month. And one of the things that God has laid in my heart is prayer. And we're going to talk about that. And so how timely is it that we're ending this book talking about prayer? We're going to start 2015 talking about prayer. Because I want our church to be a miracle of God. That people look at Orchard Church and say, only God could do that. Only God could do that. That was our prayer when we started nine years ago. God, do something so incredible that only you could get the credit for. I I want our church to be an embarrassment to the devil. because Because we're praying and God's answering and doing incredible things. One of the things we have at Orchard Church that you may or may not know about is we have a great prayer team here. And if you're interested in being on our prayer team, you know, you could put that on your connection card on the area of service and write that and say, I'd like to be on the prayer team and drop it in the offering bucket. But we get probably eight to 10 prayer requests in, in our service every Sunday through our connection card. We distribute those to our prayer team and our prayer team's praying all week uh, for those people. And sometimes they reach out to them. So there's a lot of prayer happening behind the scenes. And, you know, there's prayer that happens in our small groups. That's one of the beauties of small groups. People are praying for each other. Prayer happens in discipleship. But I, but I feel like God wants us sometimes to be a little more visible even with our prayers, corporately as a church. And so we're going to try this today and maybe first of the year. And we're going to, I don't know if we'll do it every week. We'll see how God leads. But our prayer team is here this morning. And as soon as our service is over, when we finish our last worship song and we dismiss, right down here at the corner of the stage on the floor, right over here, our prayer team is going to be assembled. And if you're here today and you just like somebody to pray with you and for you, they're going to be available. Would that be cool to do, church? And just just come down, you know. Before you leave and go with your kids, let somebody just pray for you today, because we want to be a praying church, and we want to be a church where we share our struggles and our difficulties with one another. Listen, we are. This is an imperfect church for imperfect people. If you're looking for a perfect church, you've come to the wrong place. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, I'm not him. But when 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 we have a church where confession is more common than criticism. God's going to do amazing things. Where we're honest and real and open and caring and sharing church is a healthy church. That's the kind of church we want to be here at Orchard. And our goal for Orchard Church is this is a place where people feel loved and accepted and cared for. And that they dare to share their feelings and what's going on in their life. So we can pray for people because the beginning of healing is sharing your feelings. Listen, none of us have it all together, do we? I know I don't. And we need each other. I need your prayers and you need my prayers. And you know what prayer is at the end of the day? It's just simply saying, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And we do. Amen? We desperately do. Let's bow in prayer. That's bow and eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here this morning as a believer and you'd say, you know what? God has spoken to me today. I know I could prove, I could improve. In the area of prayer. Would you slip up your hand for prayer this morning? Can I pray for you? God bless you. My hand's up with you. Hands everywhere. You can put them down. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, I'm facing a problem in my life right now. An emotional problem. A physical problem. A spiritual problem. And I needed to hear this message. Pastor Doug, would you pray for me this morning? Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? I'm going through a challenge. A difficulty. A problem. Thank you. God bless you. Hands everywhere. I'd encourage you. If you just raised your hand before you leave today. Come down here. Let our prayer team pray with you and for you. And let me pray for you now, Lord, I pray that we would be people of prayer, that we make prayer a priority as individuals, individually and corporately as a church, that you would do such miraculous, incredible things to heal marriages and families and finances and health and, and meet the needs of our church, that this community cannot help but take notice. And when they do, that we would give you all the glory, the honor, and the credit, that we be a praying people. I pray for those that are going through challenges and struggles and problems this morning, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual. I pray for them. I pray for encouragement and for grace and strength. And heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the first prayer that I believe God hears is the one that we call on Him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He will listen. He will answer that prayer. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. You can pray from your heart to God's right now to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Now listen, it's not a magic prayer. They're not magic words. But if you believe them and you put faith and belief behind them, you can accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior today. If that's you, would you pray this with me? Jesus, I call on you to come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I want to pray for you, that you would grow in your new relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand for prayer right now so I can see it? God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Several people. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer. Pray for me. Father, I pray for those putting their faith and trust in you today for the first time, that they would grow in their relationship with you. Lord, we welcome them into the family of God. We celebrate their decision as the angels in heaven have broke out in praise and celebration right now. I pray we would do the same and that we would be people and a church of prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what to do, church. I don't need to tell you. Amen. Let's praise God. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, you raised your hand and said, I accepted Christ, please let us know about that. We want to continue to minister to you and pray for you. Drop that uh, connection card in the offering bucket made that decision so we can pray for you. If you're a first-time guest here at Orchard Church this morning, thanks for being our guest. Hopefully, you filled out the guest connection card when the offering uh, goes by. Uh, we are not interested in your money, first-time guest today, We are, but we are interested in you. And so, please let us know who you are. Drop that in. We can send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. A couple of things I want to say before we close in worship. I uh, really want to encourage you guys. Christmas is an incredible opportunity to reach people for Christ. Our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, um, This is a time of year where people go to church when they don't go any other time. And so we have designed our services and our messages to to reach people for Jesus. I mean, we want to see, you know, hundreds of people come to Christ this Christmas season and receive the greatest gift they could ever have. Amen, church? And you you can have a part in that. And so, first of all, our Christmas Eve, we're having four services to accommodate everyone this year. Two, three, four, and five o'clock. Before you leave this morning, grab some of these invite cards. Give these out at all four of our services. They're going to have an incredible opportunity to accept Christ. It is going to be a Christmas Eve service that will be talked about for a long time. You do not want to miss it. And now you guys are wondering, now wait a minute, we've got, we got a service next Sunday, right? Regular services next Sunday. We're done with James. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to have a Christmas message. i got a special Christmas message called the best Christmas gifts you'll ever get. And it is designed for people that need Christ, and for all of us, but especially for those that don't know Jesus. So invite them next Sunday. Maybe they can't make it Christmas Eve. Have them here next Sunday, and God's going to do some incredible things as we see lives change over the next week and a half this Christmas season. Amen? I don't know if you guys are excited, but I am. I'm pumped up, all right? Let's stand. Let's close in a song of worship. Worship through our giving this morning. God bless you guys.